this is Rob Coburn, and we are excited that you're joining with us today. If you're a part of the Summit Dover family, whether in person or online, we'd love to connect with you via social media at the Summit Dover on all social media outlets and on our website, thesummitdover.com. We can get you plugged into our app or our YouTube channel, as well as giving options and opportunities to connect with the Summit Dover family all around the world. I hope this word today encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Well, we're so glad that you came on Sunday morning. Some of you I know work and things didn't work out for you to be here for the beginning of the conference. And I pray that you would all bring someone back with you tonight. I know we've got other pastors that have notified me they're coming back tonight with people from their churches. But uh, to close out the conference this evening at seven o'clock, I was just when you're with men of God who are, who are seeking revelation of the Lord and then you put them all in a room together, um, the stuff that comes out of it is, is just amazing. But um, early on this weekend, I was able to sit in the studio with Pastor Penn and Pastor Reed and I had put on the note to all of them that when they were here this week that we would do some recording in the studio and, uh, and so I was like, well, the original plan was that I would record Pastor Reed, but I've done that a lot and I've interviewed him a lot. And so when Penn met Pastor Reed for the first time, I know he still believes it's the first time I think you've met before, but anyway, the first time they really got to talk, I was like, man, what a great interviewer to have interview Pastor Reed. And it revealed something about Pastor Penn to me. I've witnessed him minister to ministers and to, uh, to speak into our lives and to call us to uh, solitude and to call us to uh, a deeper walk with the Lord. Um, and then I've watched him minister in places where he uh, really specifically goes after the next generation and I, and I love that about how he ministers. And then I witnessed this whole other side of Pastor Penn and I, I know he's a historian and, and Finney and, and all of the revivals and, and all of that, but I watched him navigate a general in the faith to pull things out of him that I think, in fact, Brother Al said that some things he said in that interview, which we'll release later, but the, some things he said in that interview he had never heard and he's been with him a long time. And so um, I just honor that gift in you to be able to, um, to honor Pastor Ede, but also to pull something out of them. And so my heart for you this morning, and, and I haven't even talked to him about this, my heart for me this morning is that as he speaks, he'll, the Holy Spirit's going to pull something out of you that maybe you didn't even know was in you this morning that will lead to your transformation. And so would you welcome with me Pastor Penn Clark. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Good morning, everyone. I think what Pastor Rob was referring to is is I loved my grandfather, and I would sit as a, as a boy, I'd have them all to myself, he and my grandmother, and I would just listen to their stories over and over and over again. I couldn't get enough of that, and I couldn't understand why no one else was there listening. And it just kind of took me back to that. I bet if we had the time, you're just full of amazing stories of what God has done. I would, I'd encourage you to put your camera in front of some of these dear people here, and just let that come out. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Uh, thank you, Rob, for all your, uh, the way you've honored us and treated us royally. Jen, your hospitality 
we just felt cared for. And uh, it was good for me to meet Dennis. And I had met Pastor Reed in other settings, but not like this. This was different. It was a whole different um, a whole different way of meeting him. And so I feel I'm going home edified and built up and encouraged and enriched. I, f- I felt like God spoke to me uh, through what Wanda said, but married to my heart. And so thank you, all the staff who looks after us and cares about us. We really feel that, and we appreciate it very much. Uh, good to be with Sean and different ones I've got to know through the years. And so I'm just glad to have been here. Great theme for this conference as well, and um, I'm not sure how to make all this fit, but I feel this is where I'm supposed to go. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. As a young guy in Bible school, and uh, the way the Bible school was set up is every week they'd bring in a a different speaker off the field who was an apostolic leader or prophetic person or a church planter or pastor or missionary. And uh, that was a really good way to expose us to people who are really on the cutting edge of what God was doing. And they would come and share their life with us for a week and teach us. And one of the, one of the missionaries who came off the field from Guatemala, he was a missionary down there. I don't remember what he was teaching now, but I'll never forget one moment when he was sharing he described being on his knees in his living room, worshiping the Lord, seeking the Lord. And he said in front of him appeared what looked like a television screen with a, a picture on it of like a biblical, biblical scene, you know, with people with the, the turbans and the, the coverings and the uh, tunics. And, and so he's looking at this scene, trying to understand what, what is going on, and then found himself in the scene, standing among those very people, and he's standing in this wilderness place among thousands and thousands of people dressed in biblical garb, and he could hear a voice preaching. He tracks the voice, he finds the voice, and it's John the Baptist preaching. And, and he described what that was like. It, it, it was him speaking with such, such tones of mercy and such an invitation to come and repent. And, and he said as he called the people to, to surrender and to repent from their lives, their lifestyles, he said liquid waves of love would sweep over the crowd, and people would fall to the ground crying. He said, after a while, he's standing there, it's like pickup sticks. Do you remember that game when you were a kid? There are just people just strewn everywhere, crying, melted by the love of God. Well, uh, he's, and then he said also, he said, he said, he looked up on this escarpment, and there's uh, all these men dra- dressed in black robes with their arms across their chests, unable to receive the word, unable to receive that wave of love. 
He said, they look like a row of rotten teeth. I never forgot that. <clears throat> he said, they were the Pharisees. So he told us that story. It really impacted me. I, I had to admit, I, I, never, I never really liked John. Um, anytime I ever heard anything about John, you know, when there were people preaching, it, he made him look like he was a bit crazy. You know, they, he'd have a locust leg hanging out of the corner of his mouth and spittle in his beard and kind of like an Andre the Giant kind of character in this big camel hair suit. And I just never, I, I was never attracted to John. But when I heard that vision, it just made me want to look again in the scriptures and, and find out what this guy was like. And I, I saw a few things that caused me to, to not only love John, but that I wanted to be like him. And I want, there are thir certain things about him that I think are so admirable and so attractive and, and um, uh, it, it changed my life. And uh, so I, I thought I'd share a few of these with you this morning, if you go with me. Uh, we're gonna start in, in, in Matthew 3, uh, but there's a little line that, that uh, Luke captured. And it's just this little line that says that until his appearing, John was in the wilderness and uh, alone in the wilderness. And I, I've been down in that region where John would have been, and there's nothing there. It is, it's a moonscape, not a tree. I'm just, just gravel and sand and uh, beautiful in a, in a strange way. But uh, to think that as a boy, I, I, picture, I picture him as a boy uh, putting his rucksack over his shoulder and heading off into that wilderness alone to seek the Lord. Uh, it's really hard to spend time in the wilderness alone, really hard to go even, I would go up into the Canadian wilderness, I grew, there, grew up there, and I would, as a boy, I would try to see if I could spend the night out in the wilderness by myself, uh, scary stuff, but I, I wanted to see if I could do it, and I would try that different times and even as a teenager and uh, so this idea of him going out there alone and um, I, I picture that process where uh, Elizabeth and Zacharias would look into his room and the rucksack is gone and the bed hasn't been slept in and and then they look at each other and kind of shrug like there he goes again and 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 then the bed hasn't been slept in for weeks and and then Eventually, he doesn't come home. He doesn't come back. He's out in the wilderness, and, and he begins. I often wonder, how did that first, first moment begin where he begins to raise his voice and preach? I don't know if it was a group of Bedouin going by with, you know, with their, their cattle, their sheep, and, and they meet John. But when you read chapter 3, it says that all of Jerusalem, look, with, look down in um, verse 5, all of Jerusalem, all of Judea, and all of the region around the Jordan went out to him. Uh, if God wanted to do it the way we would do it here, we'd say, well, put him downtown Jerusalem. Give him a pulpit there and put him front and center. Put him where the people are. And God does things so different 
than what we would do. He, he seems to like putting a guy in, a, in an obscure place, a difficult-to-get-to place. And he did that with John. He put him in the middle of nowhere. And he began to raise his voice, whether it was to some Bedouin who are going through, and, and he would tell them about what God's been speaking to him about in the wilderness, whether it was a caravan that was passing through, and, and somehow, I, I picture some traders or some business people going through the wilderness. You have to get, you have to get through the wilderness, and, and uh, they get back to their village, and they're unpacking, and they're weepy. And, and the neighbors are saying, what, what's wrong? What's wrong? And they said, well, something, something happened out there. What happened? We met this guy. And, and, and he told us about, the, about God in a way, he described God in a way we'd never heard any rabbi ever say. And, and uh, it, just made us, it just made us want God. And it just made us want to get rid of anything between me and us and God. And we just confessed, felt like we could just confess to him anything we'd done. And we all just confessed. And then he took us down to the water and lowered us down into the water. And the sky got bluer and the grass got greener, so to speak. And, and they're just trying to explain an experience. You know what it's like when you try to ex explain an encounter with God. It's really hard to do. And they're just weepy. And the people said, well, where, who was he? And they said, we don't know. He's, he's just this guy. He's out there. And well, where is he? Like, how can we find him? And well, I don't just go out. You go out and there's a rock and you turn right. <laughs> He'll find you. He'll find you. Just go. And so they talk about it, and they said, well, let's pack up. We've got nothing on this weekend. Let's pack up, and let's go see if God will do something for us. Because there hadn't been a move of God for 400 years. That's almost twice as long as America's been in existence, and they hadn't heard a word from God. They had no move of God, nothing. Nothing at all for, for such a long time. And, and, and uh, demons are comfortable in synagogue, and people are raising pork and probably eating pork, and, and, the, and the Romans are occupying. That'd be like the Russian troops in the Ukraine occupying Ukraine. It would be like that, horrible, horrible conditions. So there's the, the, the conditions are just right for people to want to get reconnected with God. And this guy... He's, he's had an impact on, on our neighbors. Let's, let's pack up and let's go out and see what happens. And so they go out and they come staggering back and they're late. They're, they're days late. They hadn't come back on time at all. And they come back and they're weepy and they're, they're they, are you sad? Are you, is something wrong? No, no, we actually, we feel this joy, but we can't stop crying. We feel like we've been scrubbed with a wire brush. You know, we just feel, we just feel soft and we want God. We want God in ways we've never wanted God before. And someone said, I, I want that. I want that experience. Honey, come on. Let's pack up the kids and go. And you have to realize there's nothing there. So people would create, there's a homemade tents, and they'd pack up their 
They're kind of old style cooler, you know, the clay pot cooler, and, and the, the, uh, they're out there. There's no food, there's no restaurants, there's no nothing. It's totally inconvenient. Very hot in the daytime, very cold at night. When John said, uh, people said, what do we do to get close to God? What do we do to repent? He says, uh, give your tunic. If you got two tunics, give one away. If you've got food, give it away. I think what it is, there's people who weren't prepared to stay. And they're, they're freezing, they're chattering. You can hear them chattering. Well, do something about that. That's right there. And there's people who never brought any food and they're weak and they're faint and it's hard for them to stand. And, and John preaches for hours and there's just that love of God which flow over people. People just carve in, in the side of a bank of some sand and gravel, a little place to get some shade and pull, pull some uh, uh, burlap up just to keep the wind out and keep the sand out and, and just be there. This is a retreat unlike anything that had ever happened before. If you stop and think about it, it says all of Jerusalem. So if you can imagine there's a, a pathway from Jerusalem going out into the desert, and it just gets wider and, and more congested, and there's people coming, there's people going by the thousands. All of Jerusalem made their way down. All of Judea in all the area around Jordan, John's got the largest revival that has ever happened in the history of the world. The whole nation is coming to do business with God. The whole nation is coming down to hear what God is saying. And this young man, since he was a, since he was a boy, would, would hear from the Lord. And the Lord would give him concepts, like the concept of, of a baptism that people, people can say they believe all they want, and in a moment they might believe, but unless they act on that, unless they do something with that, something physical, something obvious, something out of the ordinary, they'll lose it. And, and God said, lay them down in the water, invite them out in the water, lay them down. It's abstract, it's different. Nothing like this had ever happened before. There were ceremonial washings that the Jews had uh, when, before you went to the temple, but this was different. This is for the re remission of sins. This is to deal with the, the lens of their heart. They're going to see God differently. They're going to see the Messiah when he comes. It's to get them conditioned, get them soft. This baptism and this repentance was so powerful that in Acts 19... The Apostle Paul goes into a Gentile city, finds a group of disciples who are living separate. They're not Gentile, they're not Jewish, they're not typical of anything that he'd ever seen. He just supposed, because the level of commitment to the Word of God, the level of commitment to fellowship was so unusual, he assumed that they were believers. He sat down with them, he said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? They said, we don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. He said, well, then whose baptism did you receive? And they said, John's. He said, oh, that was for the remission of sins. And John, John was told to do that. But John pointed to Jesus and, and, and you're to receive Jesus. They said, we'll do that. And they're, <clears throat> <clears throat> they're, 
they, they pray, and then he takes them down to the river and lowers them in the water again in Jesus' name. And, and, and they come up speaking in tongues. He lays hands on them. They're being baptized. All of them were so pliable, so soft, so yielded. That came out of a conditioning that happened during those revival meetings with John the Baptist. It, it softened hearts. It was a, it was a revival of, of mourning. Jesus' revival, which was the greatest revival, which came after that, was a revival of joy. And if you've had one, it's kind of hard to move to the other. If it, the revival that you knew that you look back on that changed your life was all mourning, it's pretty hard to handle the one that's all joy, where people are running and leaping and They've got their legs back. They got their arms back. They got their sight back. I mean, it's just a totally different, totally different thing. Some people couldn't couldn't get that. Mentions here that John's clothing in verse four. He clothed himself in camel's hair and leather belt. His food was locusts and wild honey. I, the reason that's in there, and there's people who, who use that to make John look more eccentric, you know, that he's this madman that jumps out from behind a rock with a bony finger and says, repent. I don't think so. I, I don't think people will repent to that. I think it's more of an invitation. I think these things that, and Jesus actually taught uh, in another gospel about about John's clothing. Jesus has mentioned it. You want your clothing to preach. You want every detail of your life to preach. John's, every detail about John preached. And I think what it was talking about, what he's referring to here is that he lived a fasted life. He chose to separate himself completely to the Lord, and he was dependent upon the Lord's provision of locusts and honey that he wore as ordinary. I mean, he just wore a camel, camel hair clothing, and it's just simple. And Jesus contrasted that to the, to the, the rich who are robed in special clothing and purple and and it was just such a contrast that here, here's a guy who's got the largest church in the world, and, and, and they've surrendered to everything he said, so they will do whatever he says. And rather than milk that, and rather than exploit that, and rather than gain from that, he just he didn't change. His lifestyle stayed the same. Simple. Ordinary. Enough. I could see Elizabeth saying, what do you eat out there? And he says, God looks after me. God provides. As a teenager, God looks after me. He had the enormous influence, yet he hadn't changed. He didn't enrich himself off the multitudes, and he could have. He could have. You want, you want that this is an insight, a major insight into character, not clothing. The other thing I like about John, I picture one day he's knee deep in the river and 
ministering and preaching, and the crowd gets distracted because their eye catches this dust rolling across the top of the wilderness coming toward them, and everyone's starting to look, wondering what this is, because it's different. It's not individuals trekking. It's, it's, it's horses. It's plumes. It's, it's, a, it's a massive carriage and soldiers and, and an entourage, and, and, and it's a black, shiny carriage, and it's, it's the king. Everybody comes to John, including the king. And everyone knows the king, how immoral, how corrupt, how mixed his religion is. And, and, and they start looking at John, and John, he's, he's watching this whole thing get closer and closer and closer. Very likely, if they're like me, what they would be thinking is, okay, is John going to change his message now, now that the king is here? Uh, he's, he's told us to repent. He's called out sins that we related to, and we've surrendered, and we've abandoned, and we've walked into the water. What's going to happen when Herod shows up? What's, what's he going to say? This is a real test of whether he'll soft sell the whole thing and uh, take the honor that the king is coming to your meetings. I mean, the king is coming to your meetings. Stop and think about it. Carriage rolls to a stop. People are fanning Herod. And John raises his voice. And it must have just, it must have been a moment. And he calls his sins, very specific sins. The woman that's with you is, is your brother's wife. Well, she bristled because they're married, and he's still referring to her as his brother's wife. She never forgave him. She, she marked that. She, that. I'll have his head for that. He embarrassed me in front of all these people, didn't honor, didn't validate our, our sin and our, our loss and our doing our own thing, and... And he just, he just let it rip. I love John for that, don't you? Young guy standing against the whole system. John was from the outside. I think, I think uh, my, one of the things that I'm so grateful for, I was thinking about this last night. I didn't grow up in the church. I wasn't raised in a religious home. I, good home, good people, good people. But, but they weren't Christians, and we weren't raised that way. So when I came in the church, I didn't have to unlearn a bunch of stuff. I didn't have to deal with legalism and, and all the stuff that people were, I could just see with clear eyes. Plus, I've, I've, I, people who spend a lot of time in the wilderness, they're some of the sanest people you'll ever meet. And John's just sane. And he's bold. He doesn't have to impress anyone. He's been conversing with God. He's getting revelation of baptism. He's given, getting revelation of, of, of the heart of God, the mercy of God. And I bet, it doesn't say this anywhere in Scripture, and I bet he's a repenter. I bet John's a good repenter. Not that he's lived a life of sin, but I don't think you can really call people to repentance unless somehow... He scrubbed your heart with hyssop. Unless somehow you've surrendered. And I think all those boyhood 
treks to the wilderness were times of, of his own weeping, his own tears, his own being confronted by the glory of God that just makes you weep, makes you, makes you tender. I don't think John was crazy. I don't think he was hard. Even when he spoke to Herod, I don't think it was a hard note in it. I think it was an invitation for this guy to step down out of that carriage and come to the water and I'll baptize you, same as anyone else. I love him for that. John came from outside the system. Even though his dad was a preacher, so to speak, his dad was a priest, did his time in the priest. It's, it's kind of hard to picture uh, how far John was outside the religious system. Uh, there's this whole breakdown in Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, that describes uh, how far away John was from a position of influence. And it talks about who's who in government, who's who in the church, who's who in all these heavy positions. And then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah's son, John. Is He's outside the system. He doesn't have a position of influence. Yet he's got an influence with God where he calls the nation to repent, and they do. <laughs> uh, and with no miracles. That's the other thing that John noted was that all of this was done with his voice. He raised his voice and the nation repented and there was no signs and no wonders. No one was healed. No miracles at all. Just, just his voice and God honoring it with himself. But I, I happen to read, you know, there's a, a guy named Clarence Jordan. I think he was down in Georgia and he wrote uh, his own version of the Bible, kind of a... Kind of a uh, redneck version of the Bible back in the 60s. And it's called the Cotton Patch Edition. And, and uh, some of it's very funny. But here, here's one thing I, I clipped out of there that I just, it made me laugh. But it made me realize how far John was away from the system. Listen to this. This is a, a, from a Georgian perspective. Now, in the 15th year of Tiberius as president, while Pontius Pilate was governor over Georgia and Herod was governor over Alabama, <laughs> his brother Philip was governor over Mississippi, and Linus still holding out over Arkansas, while Annas and Caiaphas were co-presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention, the word of the Lord came to Zeke's boy down on the farm. He's a long way from position. I think people like position, but I like influence. If you had a choice between influence or position, go for the influence where you can. I was actually disappointed when I became a pastor. I felt I lost influence in some ways because I could, I could lead people to Christ so easily because I wasn't, they, they, they saw me later as, that was my job. You're paid to be religious. You're a pastor. You have to be religious. I liked having influence where they didn't know what hit them. They didn't know, they never met anyone like me before. I just could win them to the Lord so much easier. As a pastor, I could do things that I could never do otherwise as well. There was a bit of a trade-off, but I was a little frustrated when I, when I became, when I had the position John the Baptist was the greatest prophet of all time, ever born among women. 
That's what Jesus said. He's the last Old Testament prophet and the first New Testament prophet. He straddles those two covenants and ushers one in, makes that, that transition. The last thing that was spoken in the Old Testament was Malachi talking about the days when uh, Elijah would come again in the great and terrible day of the Lord and turn hearts, turn, turn fathers' hearts back to the children and, and children's hearts back to the father. And that's an amazing ministry. That should be a, our focus. And, and, and lest, lest I come and curse the earth. And so that's how the Old Testament closes out. It's talking about John. The New Testament opens with John coming as Elijah again. And I think this whole thing of Elijah coming before the great and terrible day of the Lord, I, I believe that was John. I believe that was fulfilled. But I, I see the Lord still coming and this great and terrible day of the Lord still at hand and the kingdom still, still being manifest. And so it makes me wonder if God isn't going to do something where ordinary people down-to-earth, clear-eyed people who understand what it is to hear the voice of God and seek God and have no fear of man. They, they so are connected with God, they don't care what anyone else thinks, and there's a sanity about them. And they raise their voice, and they call people to repent. And even though repentance right now seems like a very old-fashioned word, I think it's going to be the word in the days to come. It's going to be the word. We're going to be catching fish and cleaning them, getting them baptized at a rate it's, it's going to be hard to imagine. But the thing that's going to bring that about is, is repenters telling them how to repent. <clears throat> and people are going to come in to the kingdom in ways we could never possibly imagine. And it's going to be like what we see here in John, where it's just whole cities will empty out and just say, teach us, tell us what you know. They'll grab you and say, you know God? Tell me everything you know about him. I want, I want to know God. I've been raised on MTV. My parents have gone through, I don't even know who my parents are. I, I've been raised in just all the woke, all the, all the crazy insanity and the, all that stuff. But I want Jesus. How do I get them? How do I, how do I find repentance? And I think, I think what's happening is, is a, a spirit of Elijah coming on not one man like John, but a people, a humble, simple people who will not exploit it, who won't hawk it, who won't sell it, who won't <clears throat> make money from it. They're content with the provision of God. They're simple. And I think, I think that spirit of Elijah is going to come upon people, ordinary people, in this great revival that I believe is coming. I believe it's already started in some ways that we haven't really fully taken it in yet. But I believe, I believe what happened to John is going to happen to us. And he's going to be held up as a model of people who are being used by God to prepare for the coming of the king. 
This is the whole sense for he came, but he's coming. And the only way, the only way that, see, with what with, with, uh, we heard last night, the description of the church and the description, if the, there has to be a revival with church. It has to begin with the household of God. There has to be a revival with church. There has to be a revival in our community. I don't think there's going to be one voice, one person. I don't think there's going to be another Billy Graham. I don't think there's going to be another any of the greats that we read about in church history. I don't think any of that. I think, I think this next move of God that's going to be so surprising, it's going to be you, <laughs> ordinary you, clothed with the spirit of Elijah that just doesn't care what other people think. You're just a boldness that's just going to declare, here's what you need to do. Here are the steps you need to do. I've taken them. Here's the steps you need to do. And it'll, it'll change your lens. It'll change your bend. It'll change your disposition. It'll change your interests. It'll change what you love. It'll change everything about you. And it's a, it's a life of surrender. And I think, I think we're going to be moved into a fasted life. Maybe some of it will be imposed on us, but a, a life that just says we don't care about stuff anymore. We don't care about things anymore. Just oh, If we have locusts and honey, we're good. If just the simplest way to get by, we're, we're, we're good with that because all we're going to be caring about is getting people reconnected with God. And we'll find our, we have to find our voice. We have to get alone. I think, I think we need, we're going to need camps and, and campgrounds and places where we can get alone to hear from God because there's, so, there's so many other voices and so much mixed up stuff. And out of that, we're going to function. God, God said we're going to do it. Amen? I don't think that's someday. I think that's now. I think it's at hand. <laughs> People paint John as some kind of crazy guy. You know what the religious leaders of, the, of his day did? They came to him. They said, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? The coming king? I think John looked like a king, walked like a king, talked like a king. I think he was ennobled by the presence of God. I think he looked like a king. In fact, I think he looked like Jesus, acted like Jesus. I think when we, we finally see these two together, we're going we're gonna to say, man, they are cut from the same cloth. In fact, they're relatives. Are you in for this? Are you up for this? Let's stand together. If you feel like you're in obscurity, that no one knows what you got under the hood, and no one knows what God's been dealing with you and speaking to you about, welcome to the wilderness. That's John. That, and that, that's, that's preparatory for what God's going to do. If you feel like you're just, no one knows, you're, you're obscure, you're in a good place, why don't we surrender today and say, Lord, use me. Use me. Wean me off this world and this world system. Wean me off of stuff. Wean me off of the American dream. Wean me off of three-car garages and mortgages. Wean me off of the vision of, of the church today. I want, I want clear vision. I want you to peel me like an onion. Take me down to nothing. Take me down to where you can use me. 
Take me down to a place so you can, I could be a voice for you. Take me down to a place where people will repent when I tell them to. People will connect with you. Why don't you pray this and say, Lord, take me. Take me from where I'm at. Sometimes our lives are so full, they're empty. Say, Lord, get rid of us. Help me declutter all the junk, all the stuff that's keeping me from seeking you and being alone with you and retreating with you. Take me. Take me by the heart. Lead me. Lead me out of this, this, this lifestyle that I've cultivated. God, help me. Give me a voice. Give me fresh boldness. Clothe me with your glory. Help me to find you for myself so I can lead others to you. Help me to be genuine. Help me to be so real. Help me to be believable again. Whatever you did in John, I'm asking that you do in me. Whatever you did in him, I say yes to you. Help me to get back to simplicity. Help me to surrender. You're not too young. You're not too old. He's looking for a voice. <laughs> they said, John, what is, who are you? Are you the prophet? Are you, are you Elijah? He said, I'm a voice. I'm, I'm a voice in the wilderness. Well, you can do that. That's within your reach. That's within your ability. Say, God, just right where I'm at, my workplace and the school, my neighborhood, God, let me be a voice, a sane voice, a clear, clear voice, a calling people closer to you. Some of you have tried it before, and it looked like a backfire. It looked like they, they rejected you. It looked, like, it looked like they didn't want to hear. Say, God, help me to do it. Help me to find it again. Give me the boldness again. Give me the boldness I had in my youth with the wisdom that I have now. Give me confidence. Give me boldness. Help me to point people to Jesus. That's what John did better than anybody. He pointed people to Jesus. Jesus is here right now. Just talk to him. Say, God, don't leave me where I'm at. I want to be used. I want to be part of a revival. Use me. Take me there. Peel off the layers of stuff. The word that was spoken this morning was powerful and pointed, transformational. He's looking for those. who will speak his word boldly without apology Father 
This morning we said the prayer. We, we spoke out to you. We, we laid our hearts out there, Lord, and we know that you are the one who will care for that. You're the one that will equip us to do what you've asked us to do. So Father, I ask that as we as we reflect on what has happened in this time, what you've spoken, what we've felt, and what we know, that throughout the rest of this day, there will be a stirring in our soul. And a shift of focus from earthly things to heavenly things. And a boldness, a boldness will rest upon each person in this place. Come have your way in your people. Draw us close to you. May his love pour over you today in a new way. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to do something as you leave this place. There's many distractions. For all I care, you can sit here till 7 o'clock. I don't care. We'll figure something out. Do not allow what was just imparted to you to be taken away through distractions of the world. The importance of what you just received, what we all just received, has begun a process, I believe, in this house of transformation. And I'm asking you as your pastor to not allow anything to take away what just was planted because there will be a service tonight in which I believe the Lord is going to accelerate what was just put in you and it will begin to produce fruit. So protect, the scripture says, guard your heart. Would you do that today? Would you guard your heart and allow that truth to begin to change you and come back tonight, and, I, and I'm serious, I know there's a lot of distracting things. I'm asking you to come back tonight. This room will be open at six o'clock. Come get on your face. Whatever he's done in the next six hours, five hours, whatever he's done in you, come and bring it to him. No better way to, to begin a night expectant of the Lord than to be on your face in front of him before the night even begins. So I'm imploring you, don't get distracted. Come back tonight and allow him to accelerate what has been imparted to you. I don't know if there's any other announcements. Sorry. Wednesday is small groups, and uh, so be here at 6.30. We'll do worship and, and all the stuff that we normally do. So.
go or stay, I don't care, but go or stay, and uh, please come back tonight. It will not only finalize what we've started here at this conference, but it will accelerate you into what God has called you to do and what you received this morning. So let me pray over you. Father, today we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence in this place. Angels go before, behind, and beside. Each person as they leave, bring them back here emboldened to be in your presence. And Lord, may each of us come ready to receive a word, to receive healing in our bodies, to receive all that you have destined for us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed today's message, I would like to encourage you to like it and share it on all social media platforms or jump on the website, thesummitdover.com or the app and click the giving link and help us continue to share the message of the kingdom across the world. God bless you and have an awesome week.